1: Well, how how does it affect your sex life? Um, You mentioned your hands. So like, how does manual stimulation work?
2: That's the one to be really blunt is the interesting one, because it's hard for me to keep my finger straight. It curls. And so I guess in some ways that's kind of a good thing, but it It takes a lot longer. It takes a lot longer to get into the right position. I have to kind of awkwardly get in there. And then once you're in there, my disability helps, I think. (laughs) (laughs)
1: it's allegorical welcome to omno hero the podcast that celebrates the brave the bold and the selfless the courageous and the compassionate those making the world a better place and has a good time doing it i am your cowardly host justin Heinberg, and today i will be talking to jonah berger now he's a guy and the universe served up some challenges for him but he refused to let that stop him from thriving We're going to talk about his disability, and we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. We're going to have a lot of laughs. I know that might sound irreverent, but the reason I say that is that Jonah is a hilarious guy, and he approaches his challenges with a sense of humor and a positive attitude that will become apparent very quickly. Now, Jonah was born with something called Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease, and it's not a dental thing. It's a degenerative disease affecting the nerves and the extremities of the body, severely weakening his wrist hands and ankles, and it requires him to wear leg braces for support. Now, that hasn't stopped him from biking across Iowa 75 miles a day, climbing the tallest mountain in Colorado, and completing two triathlons where he came in last. Uh, now, I don't suffer from any disabilities. I have irksome issues. I have plantar fasciitis. I have eyelid papillary conjunctivitis, a lot of itises, and yet I have not achieved anything close to the physical feats that Jonah has. I have not biked across Iowa or even a more narrow state. I know the old expression goes, it's like riding a bicycle, you never forget how to do it. I forgot, evidently, because I hadn't ridden since I was a kid, and I, I bought this road bike you know, a couple years ago, and I tried to ride the bike, and I sort of wobbled like a newborn foal for about 100 feet and then just toppled into an azalea bush. So I gave the bike away in like a day in terms of mountains, the tallest mountain in Colorado Colorado's got a lot of high mountains. You know, that's I, I live in Maryland, which is a Piedmont. It's just like a gentle slope. And I get winded walking up that don't do triathlons. And uh, if I entered, Jonah would not have come in last. Now, part of what allows Jonah to do all these amazing things is his attitude. You'll You'll hear this. He has this unwaveringly positive outlook in life. He is a glass half full kind of person. I, on the other hand, assume I'm just going to spill the glass, okay? So when people make small talk, you know, Jonah certainly and other people say, hey, can't complain. And I say can complain. I don't understand. Have you no capacity to think of things that could be better? We can't complain. Anyway, Jonah is not the type to complain. It it took him a while to get to that place where he is now. Um, We'll follow his journey from resenting his disability to living with it and to ultimately being proud and embracing it, no pun intended. From the days where he wore long pants to hide his leg braces, to the days where he painted blue flames on them, displaying them in all their glory. So, have a listen to this episode. Jonah really is a funny guy. And as always, if you know someone you think is a hero and that I should talk to, drop me an email at noheropod at gmail dot com. That's noheropod at gmail dot com. right, let's get into it. What's going on, Jonah?
2: Everything is great, Justin. How are you, brother?
1: I knew you would say that because you have a sunny disposition, and and so I expected an answer like that.
2: Everything sucks, Justin. I'm having the worst day ever. I just tried to get Pearl Jam tickets, and Ticketmaster was an effing nightmare. Other than that, my baby crapped in my hand this morning. I stubbed my toe. Haven't brushed my teeth yet. Chances are I won't have a good lunch. How's that? Is that working for you? Much better. Makes me feel
1: better about my own... Life, Good. which is gonna be the theme of this podcast. So before we get into what what we're gonna talk about and what your story is and what the topic of this this episode is, I'm gonna explain how I found out what your story was. Okay. Okay. So I was talking to to Lowell Meltzer of the Mark and Lowell show. Mark, that's what it's called, right? That is what it's called. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Mark is here manning the controls. DJing or whatever it is he does over there. (laughs) So I'm talking to Lowell and we're brainstorming topics for his podcast. And we got into like being handy and I assumed Lowell was not handy. So I talked to him and I'm like, and I'm not handy. So I, I like, I locked myself in a bathroom, changing a doorknob just to give you a sense. Okay. So I talked to Lowell and I asked him, I'm like, don't you hate it when you talk to people and you think they're not handy and then they are. And Lowell's like, why? Well, you know, I watched the YouTube stuff and I actually changed the light fixture. I'm like, come on, man. You got this nebbishy weatherman and even he's handy. So I'm like, is there anyone, you know, who isn't like the people on your podcast? And he says, well, Jonah has muscular dystrophy. So <laughs> not so much. <laughs> so for, I felt like an asshole and then, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. Someone else. So you're, you're literally not handy. Like it's, it affects your hands, your, your condition.
2: Yeah. I'm not sure that I would I would choose to phrase it not handy. Yeah. I would say that my hands are affected. Right. I am uniquely handy in my own special way. Jesus. And that's not political correctness. Yeah. I can get a light bulb in and out. I can put together Ikea furniture just very slowly. And it's not incredibly safely put together.
1: So you have, I, I didn't realize this, but there are different types of muscular dystrophy, and you have a a specific one.
2: There are 42 different types of muscular dystrophy, and I have one of those 42 called Charcot-Marie-Tooth, CMT. And that's a horrible name for a disease. Arguably the worst name in history. Where does that name come from? The three doctors who first discovered what it is that I have were Dr. Charcot, Dr. Marie, and Dr. Tooth. And those selfish bastards couldn't put their creative juices together and come up with something shifty, but they uh, they threw their names on That it.
1: is very arrogant to like name the disease you discover after yourself. Could not agree more. What would you name it? Like, if, if it were more descriptive, or you had your your choice, what would be a better name?
2: If I were to put it factually, it would be limp foot syndrome. But you know, men are not trying to bring limp into their lives in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So i I would say, uh, drop drop foot. Drop foot syndrome. Drop foot syndrome. DFS. Okay. Yeah, because that's the main thing. The way I always teach kids is if you put your foot flat on the ground, keep your heel on the ground, but pivot your toes up. Mm -hmm. The muscles you're using to do that action are the muscles that don't work in my foot. So when I lift my leg off the ground and I'm not wearing my leg brace, my foot just drops down. There's no lifting it up on its own. Mm. So that's why I wear leg braces that keep my feet at 90 degree angles so that when I'm walking, my feet get picked up for me.
1: Hey, sorry for the brief interruption, but I had a couple things I wanted to talk about before we hear more of the interview. Uh, I'm No Hero is a new podcast. We're just getting started and we really want to spread the word about what we're doing. We're trying to spread the word about good things, good people, good stories, and we hope you can help us spread the word about our podcast. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review, preferably a five-star review, a nice comment. We're uh, hoping to get our recommendations out to more listeners. And I'd love to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about something you heard in the show, or if you want to suggest a hero that I should interview for an upcoming podcast, send an email to noheropod at gmail.com. I will repeat it, noheropod at gmail.com. And if you want to record a voice memo and email that our way, we just might play it on the show. All
2: right, let's get back to the show.
1: So what are the main manifestations physically.
2: It only ex- affects the extremities of the body, so from the knees to the toes and from the elbows to the fingertips. Everything in the middle is unaffected by CMT, but the two main effects are the drop foot and then hands as well. The best way to describe it is that that little area between your pointer finger and your thumb, those muscles are extremely weak in my hand, so I can't pinch at all. Like my pinch is completely weak. So I can grab onto something pretty strong, but I can't button a shirt, right? I can like pick a 30, 30 pound dumb dumbbell off the floor, but mm-hmm. I can't pick up a, a quarter off the floor.
1: So if you were sexually harassing somebody, uh uh-huh. you couldn't pinch a butt, but you could give an unwanted hug.
2: I could grab a butt, but I could not pinch a butt. Okay, it's a good distinction. It, yeah, that that helps people understand.
1: So you can hear kind of how accepting you are of this now, and how almost enlightened and how eager you are to spread the word. But I want to go through your journey kind of chronologically a little bit. Sure. From when you were a kid all the way through, because you wrote a book, uh, "He Walks Like a Cowboy." Yes, sir. And that's one man's journey living with a disability. That was the sub subline? Mm-hmm. It chronicles kind of your your journey from difficulty dealing with and accepting what you had coming to terms with it and then feeling gratitude. Yeah. So he walks like a cowboy. It's not referenced in the book literally
2: as I, I, no, I know it, it yeah. is. It is referenced shows how much you actually read. I read um, the damn
1: book, small, font, uh, <laughs> small margins, <laughs> asshole.
2: I went to my friend Melissa's house, just stopped by. This is like, five, six months before I published the book or put the book out. And her sister was in town visiting from Florida and I had never met her sister and I had long pants on at the time. And we hung out, we talked and whatever, and I walked out and evidently Melissa, my friend told me later that after I left the room, her sister said, is there something going on with his legs and she's like yeah he's got a form of muscular dystrophy and Melissa's sister said oh i just thought he walked like a cowboy <laughs> and the second i heard it i was like yep there it is that's that's the name of the book so let's
1: talk way back right so so when did when did like your parents first tell you did they tell you before you had any symptoms yes and how old were you
2: i was diagnosed at 5 years old i was told at about 8 i would say about 8 years old And then I started showing real symptoms, I would say 12, 13 years old.
1: So in that period, you may not remember this, but when you're eight, do you remember any fear? Do you remember like, oh my God, this is a ticking time bomb. I know it's going to hit at some point.
2: No, I I remember very clearly, actually. My dad and mom asked me to sit down at the kitchen table and my dad had a big yellow pad and a pen and he drew a human body and literally for about 10 minutes explained to me how CMT works. Why my mom has it and that I have it, and I literally remember vividly thinking, "Okay," and then I got up and went and played. Like it didn't even didn't even cross my mind after I knew. I was like, "Okay, I have a thing that I don't really see the effects of nor understand." So back to childhood I go, you know. So you lived a normal childhood in the eight, nine, ten, and you're
1: you're you're able to do a Rubik's cube. You're Correct. Able to do a missing link, that pyramid one.
2: No, I sucked at the pyramid one. And they had that snake one too. You remember the snake? Yes, I could do the ball and the dog. Yeah, nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I could not do the ball. I did the Rubik's Cube once. Really? One time in my life. Yeah. Jonah,
3: taking the stickers off and moving them to complete the Rubik's Cube does not count. Well, Mark,
2: I couldn't do that because of my malady in my hands. So it was all <laughs> regular motion. Yeah, Thank you very much. I was actually fast. I remember that. I was a, I was a fast kid. I could run. I used to, man, when we would go to the ocean, I would take off my shoes and just book it down the sand, like wet sand. I could tear, man. And so that's why I think 12 and 13 were challenging because that's when I first started feeling like additional weight Mm -hmm. on what used to be very light and fast.
1: So when I was 12, my dad died in the beginning of seventh grade. Okay. It was awful. And it was awful for, you know, particularly for like three years, it was just complete tragedy and like cry every night fair but it spared me sort of the dumb many not perfectly but many of the dumb insecurities of of junior high or middle school like i just didn't have time to be concerned with you know the the sort of trivialities that most people like think puberty's the worst and it was like i i got bigger fish to fry
2: yes was that a,
1: the case with you at
2: all i gotta tell you man that's the best i've heard it put ever i'm stealing that phrase spared me the trivialities. That's, I mean, that's it. When you have something bigger going on, you don't get caught up in the bullshit to the same level. I was a pretty immature kid. So I, I held pretty strong to my to my immaturities. But yes, I think I had a wisdom brewing at a younger age that most of my classmates didn't because there was a baked in teacher. So you're in junior high, you don't have the leg braces yet. You're just
1: starting to feel the symptoms just a little bit at this point.
2: Yeah, I don't get the leg braces until I'm 23. And you did have a happy high school life. The happiest. Oh, yeah. And my sister always says that she feels like my... I used to be a very shy kid, actually, surprisingly, but my rise of extroversion and and personality was in many ways attributed to covering up anything that could be perceived as weak or unusual abnormal so i would like learn how to keep people's attention look right here where i'm being funny and entertaining don't don't worry about the braces don't worry about the the feet you know yeah
1: my eyes are up here not on my feet yeah (laughs) what kind of foot fetish do you have yeah yeah so you became funnier up from it yeah i'd say people always talk about developing a sense of humor as a coping mechanism yeah and a healthy one i think yep so that does ring true for you. Definitely. I was talking to a friend of mine and he did remember you in high school, like walking a little bit differently. Yep. So there was some of it, but yeah.
2: I never felt like I was walking different. I didn't have to watch myself walk. So, But when videos started coming out, I was like, oh, fuck, man. I'm, I'm walking all over the place. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the camera adds 10 pounds. Yeah, exactly. It added 10 degrees of variation off a straight line. I have
1: reverse body dysmorphia where like I... I look myself in the mirror and I think I look great, but then I'll see a picture and I'm like, who's that fat fatty? Um, so when I read the book, I had a couple thoughts. So I thought, wow, this is inspiring. Number one. And two, fuck this guy in all his positivity. As I, as I Again. And that's why I appreciate the, the intro of, of how you do it. Like you do come off like almost saint, like a little bit in it. Are you like a Tom Hanks or like a Mr. Rogers where do you like, you just like, nobody can find a bad thing to say about you
2: or, or are you <laughs> let are you, me answer you, that for you yeah, yeah. No, mark, I, go ahead are no, you go getting, ahead jonah yeah are, are you getting a view of mark right now and how hard <laughs> is he biting his, t- his to yeah. well, That's, that's um, t-
1: it's time to get to the to the truth here let's let's get dig a little deeper yeah.
2: no i i i would start i would answer that question in two parts number one i'm a total pain in the ass complete control freak i am self-absorbed i have I have a list a mile long of annoying qualities and every friend I have in the world, including if not only my wife, would sing those praises. That being said, I also have a very, what I consider to be strong and healthy grip on this challenge of mine as given to me and gifted to me by my mom. And it's very authentic the way that I take it. And I would say that this saint-like quality you talk about, it helps me. like my holding my disability in this light helps my disability to feel light. When on the times and there are many where I hold my disability in absolute disdain, it feels heavy and it feels disdainful. And so it's self-serving. If your attitude is positive, then just easier to go through life with it. I don't want to drag myself through this life. I would I got one crack at it. I'm gonna gonna keep it happy.
1: You did mention to me, I just heard you say like a control freak. And do you think that the disability actually made you a control freak? Is, that like, did, did, is there any like negative personality trait that you think actually emerged? Or there absolutely it just is. Yeah,
2: There absolutely is. I mean, there's a lot of things physically that are out of my control. Half the times, if not most of the times that I've tripped and fallen down over the years, there's nothing I tripped over. Sometimes I just stumble. Over my own foot. And that the feeling on the way down, and I mean this sincerely, is the worst feeling on the planet. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? Not only am I about to hit the ground hard, but there's no reason. Like, it's one Mm. thing if you slip on the ice or if you trip over something, I just fall for no reason. And so, that lack of control feeling, I hate it so much that I'm in love with the opposite feeling. I'm in love with knowing that I can control. A thing. And in balance, that's good. I mean, I'm a camp director. I direct an entire camp and pretty smoothly, I would say, for the most part, because I'm in control. But it's very easy to then lose that balance and start to try to control things and and elements of things that you ought not to try to control. What
1: is the feeling getting up after you fall?
2: The interesting vibe is the I always instinctually try to get up as quick as possible, as quick Mm. as possible even when no one's around, because I just want to make sure that, no, 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 we're good. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's not fine. I just fell down, but I want everything to be fine. So I get up very quickly. Right.
1: That's interesting. So we'll go back then to these days where the the symptoms start to ramp up. I don't know if that's college, or early twenties. It sounds like the leg braces had to go on in your early twenties. And so it sounds like for Mark, you did not want to put him on. So there was not, you were not fully accepting the situation at that point.
2: Yeah, if anything, it's funny. I think about this a lot that looking backwards, I was like, hell no, I'm not letting the world see me in braces. I can summarize this in like, in one example, a perfect example is Tara Opsel, who was a counselor of mine at the first camp I directed out here in Colorado, City of Boulder Parks and Rec Camp. And it was probably 98 degrees this one summer day. And all the kids in my camp are like running all over the place and everyone's having fun and everyone's in shorts. And I'm in jeans, long pants, Mm. covering up. I had never since putting braces on at age 23. And at that point, I was 27. I had Mm. not worn shorts once in the summer. Shorts were a thing of the past. As soon as I went into braces, it was long pants every day, no matter how muggy a summer vibe was going on in Maryland. And Tara walked past me, one of my counselors, that one day. And she's like, dude, why do you have pants on? (laughs) Like, It was the most innocent question and such an obvious one. And I I respected her. And I was like, to be honest, because I'm not comfortable in shorts with my braces. And she turned around. She started walking away. And she turned over her shoulder and said, you should try wearing shorts sometime. That was it. Walked away. Yeah. I've told her this story many times. I've never forgotten it. Next day, I wore shorts. First yeah. and only time that summer. Never wore shorts again the rest of that summer. The following summer, I wore two days. That was it. All summer long. Oh, and yeah. then over the next three or four summers, I, I evolved into wearing shorts every day in the summertime. And now I don't even think about it. So this is your twenties.
1: Is that kind of symbolic about where you were at? Your, your yes, your pant length when you went yes, to, and then you eventually went to Daisy Dukes when you were totally comfortable.
2: Correct. I mean, I'm in a thong right now, and I yeah. don't care who knows it. So
1: but yeah. I
3: think also what you're failing to share also is the way you know the Jonah Berger positivity. He took those braces. He finally embraced it. He was wearing shorts, but what he decided to do is be a little different than everybody else and have these braces decorated oh that's true you know almost like a tattoo you know or something like that where he he could wear something that he felt more proud of
1: so the so what did you have on
3: them
2: my first pair that i had decorated in college my friend christy alexandrowitz painted them like stained glass it was Mm. really cool but it was paint on top of the brace so every time i rubbed up against something it would chip the paint Right. So then my next one I had, there was a very failed pair that the actual braces weren't good for me, but I I had the picture. You could put a picture into the brace. They would bake a picture into the brace while they were basically cooking the braces. Mm -hmm. And I had Forrest Gump on one leg and Jenny on the other right and that didn't work because when they went to stretch the braces force like got stretched out you couldn't even tell it was him so that didn't work and then i had one pair where my buddy out here painted wings giant wings one right wing one left wing that was really cool and then they finally they caught up the industry caught up and started offering all kinds of patterns you could get just That's like a, what they would do. Yes. Like a Pegasus going over a rainbow. (coughs) No, mine was my favorite one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My favorite one was, uh, it's called blue blaze. It's like, it looks like a blue flame all over the brace. Yeah. Nice. Kids can get characters. Like there's all kinds of stuff you can do now.
1: So, so are you starting to, does that mean you're starting to, you're in Colorado here at this point? I am. You're, okay. And so you're, are you starting to kind of accept it more when you're putting uh, the flames in the, in the, in the Pegasus on, on the leg braces?
2: A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm, I'm not in, I like, I'm not a hundred percent comfortable walking down the street, knowing that everyone's looking. Strangers are looking at my legs. That's still uncomfortable for me, but it never affects me to the point that I change my plans or my dress or my behavior. Right. So mm-hmm. you're
1: in your tw- you're in your 20s. You're a camp counselor. Is that w- what's going on? You're in camp Colorado, director. Camp, camp director.
2: Yep. You're starting
1: to maybe lean towards. Uh, I keep hitting these terrible puns. The these uh, a little bit more of acceptance and and I, when I read the book, that seemed like two things were a big part of of kind of moving forward in how you perceived your own disability. One was women in yep. your dating, and some and it's very interesting how some of them had totally different attitudes and I, and we'll get to that I want to hear about that in a sec and the other was nature you know climbing mountains all these things you did that that were incredible you climbed mountains you biked across Iowa so is that what is nature what brought you out to Colorado just like you were a nature dude and
2: you wanted to get away from the rat race of this area yes. in DC the thought of wanting something new that did not lead me to Colorado one night I was living with Mark and Went to bed one night and had a dream about being lost in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. I was just lost in the Rockies and freaking out. And I came upon a cabin in my dream. I knocked on the door and it was my friend Stephanie Smith, who I hadn't seen in like seven years, a friend of mine from high school. And in the dream, I'm like, Steph, what are you doing here? She's like, come on in. She gave me a blanket and a stick of butter to eat. I don't know why, but I've always remembered that. <laughs> and so I woke up the next day and it was one of those mornings that you just... Can't get rid of the dream. You're like still remembering it. It was so alive in my head, and I was like, "What if I'm supposed?" It's like a sign. Maybe I'm supposed to get back in touch with Steph. So I start calling around the old crew. I end up getting Steph's mom on the phone. I was like, "Miss Smith, it's Jonah Berger from high school. Where's Steph?" And she goes, "You just missed her. She moved to Denver two days ago." And I'll right. never forget it. I went out into the living room. I said, "I looked at Mark, and I was like, dude." I think I just got a sign. I think I'm going to Colorado. And he, like everyone at first was like, yeah, right. You're going to Colorado. Great. Sounds good. But I like, I don't know, man. I was like discontented enough with my scene in Maryland and ready enough for a change that I was like, no, I think, I think this is a sign and I think I'm going to follow it. And nine months later, three friends and I got into cars and caravaned west to Colorado. And that was that. Wow! And so, so you're sitting there in a
1: car with three of your friends, dining on a couple sticks of butter, <laughs> heading to Colorado.
2: <laughs> we were we were caravanning. Everyone in their own car, bringing them out to Colorado. And I had never okay. been there. I was 27. It was the end of the summer, and a buddy of mine had told me that when you first drive into Colorado, it's an hour of flatland. Just looks like Kansas, and then you come over this one ridge, and there's the Rocky Mountains. So I decided I'm going to queue up this whole thing. And I've got John Denver, Rocky Mountain High, queued up on cassette, in my cassette deck, in my car, Jeep Cherokee. And I come into Colorado, our flatland, come over the ridge. There's the Rockies. I pop that bad boy in. And what are the first lines of Rocky Mountain High? But he was born in the summer of his 27th year, coming home to a place he'd never been before. Dude, I shit you not. I was crying. I was like, Thanks, John. Like, thanks for the welcome, brother. I was like, I'm home. I'm meant to be here. And 20 years later, here I am with a beautiful wife, an amazing daughter, friends of absolute gold, and 20 years of the best life I could absolutely imagine. All because I didn't wake up that one morning and say, eh, it was just a dream. Funny dream, but eh. All because I decided to invest a change of my entire life on a hunch, on an instinct. And I'm not special. A lot of people do that, but a ton of people don't. They get the instinct, but they don't follow it. I did follow it. And for what it's worth, I'm here to tell you, it led to me meeting everything great about my life. Okay.
1: So so nature was one of the things that helped you progress and, and start to to realize that this thing didn't have to hold you back. You climbed mountains. You you did all these incredible things. Is, is that correct to say? Is that a a big part of kind of like... Yeah,
2: what's a little more going, correct, Justin, is to say I climbed the tallest mountain in Colorado. Oh, okay. I think that's a little bit more accurate. In your leg braces. In my leg in, braces. Without them, yeah. I, never, I never would have made it up 10 feet up that mountain. So as much as I hated the leg braces at first, the leg braces are the very reason I'm able to say that I climbed the tallest mountain in Colorado or biked across Iowa or done two now triathlons because of the leg braces. So the other thing that, that was a big, factor I think in
1: your, your self, you know, the way you perceived yourself overall is, is you, you dated a bunch of women and we don't have time to go through all of them. Well,
2: that's true. But, there's not enough time know. in the
1: world, Justin. Yeah. No, it's amazing. You, you had, I, I don't know, you had a lot of, I read the book and there's a lot of women you dated way more than me. I don't know if it was the sympathy thing or you just had a good rap <laughs> that you helped, you ran a camp for special needs, get whatever the hell it was. So, so they all had, uh, there was a bunch, you know, I, I know it's going to be hard to, to talk about quickly, but you had, they all had different reactions and it, and that, that made you realize how other people were going to deal with this and how important it was to find a certain type of woman.
2: 100% to date, true. To, to be in a
1: relationship with.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've always called it a, CMT is a bit of a truth filter. I mean, anything is, you know, you losing your father is a truth filter. You know, only true people can get past that. If someone can't handle it, they're filtered away from your life. And I had a couple, I had a girl I dated when I was 1819 that butt naked on my parents couch, I told her I had CMT and she went silent. She couldn't even find words. I mean she was young and I kind of sprung it on her. but I remember thinking that night in that awkward silence like, oh okay, well I guess I can only date women who are you know super compassionate and like open to talking about heavy topics like this sometimes. And that, you know, I never kind of went backwards from that pursuit. And, you know, I learned from the small handful of women that I had real solid relationships with taught me a lot about what I should accept and what I should not. And to their credit, there's three or four of them. You know, they were all amazing females that taught me like, no, this is exactly how high the bar should be, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I met Megan, who's the best of all of them because she... She has type one diabetes, but she also grew up with a sister who has pretty profound disabilities. And so with Megan, she grew up with it; it was just baked in. Like she looks at my disability and is like, "Okay, it's part of mm-hmm. you. Let's move on." And Megan
1: is—I am hoping—Megan is your wife.
2: Megan that, is like, my like, wife. Mistress. Yes. Okay. Megan is in yeah. fact my wife.
1: How how does it affect sex? Like, does any of your mobility or hand or couple
2: maneuvers out? It's a it's a good question, and I'm not yeah. afraid to answer it at all. I wrote a whole article on this very topic for my disability newsletter. It's a little harder for me to be on top because mm-hmm. you have to lean so much on your wrists and right. your hands, and mine are weak, and so it, I can do it, but it's harder. It's much easier for me to be on the bottom.
1: Yeah. So you don't want to? You're speaking about it delicately. I was just going to run
2: through a list, and you. Said oh, yes go, for no. go for it. Go for it. Undoing a bra, yes or no? Yes, but funkily. <laughs> Unzipping your pants. Easy and
1: very quick. Okay. Pinging nipple, we went through. What about um, finger, you know, manual stimulation? That's least.
2: the one to be really blunt, is the interesting one because it's hard for me to keep my finger straight. It curls. And so I guess yeah. in some ways that's kind of a good thing but it, it takes a lot G longer yeah. to it takes a lot longer to get into the right position I have to kind of awkwardly get in there and then once <laughs> you're in there my disability helps I think <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, It's
2: allegorical
1: last couple questions here if you could wish that you never had this would you would you wish that you never had it
2: It's a great question. I say this to every time I speak to kids, I always say the same thing. I say, if a genie came to me today and said, I'll take you back and we can get rid of it. I'd say no, without any question. Not because I like having a disability. It sucks. It fucking sucks. But I've learned so much and I've become so much more of a human being because of that challenge that I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, Can I ask one question? Yeah. No no okay no. sorry uh, mark, we're out of time.
3: Jonah, once again, your title with your new job is National Youth Programs Manager. okay so you work a lot with kids that also have CMT. what what's your message? What do you think your biggest message is to these all these different kids that you work with that that struggle with the challenges of CMT?
2: be full blown. Don't don't see this as any reason to be less than what you were meant to be. Go live your life and experience your destiny. Just accept that you're going to have to do it on your own terms. So two summers ago in camp, we this will be our 5th summer. Two summers ago I coined this term tribe of the funky feet. And the kids went crazy for it, man. They love it because it's like celebrating, yeah, man, we got funky feet. We fall down. We can't do a lot of things that normal people can do, but that's not going to stop you. That's not going to keep you from expressing yourself completely or going out and doing everything you're meant to do. So, you know, a lot of kids, especially kids who are in that prime phase of be like everyone else or you're worse, you know, it's about opening their eyes to no, learn now, you know, earlier than most people do to just be yourself and be the pimpiest side of that self that you can be. And whatever that is, it's going to be better if you just own it and celebrate it. Don't, Shame it and don't hide it, you know, and kids respond really well to that. And if anything, I'm learning every summer in camp because the kids remind me to do that, too, you know. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I
1: entered this telling Mark your positivity sickens me, but ultimately (laughs) it inspires me. And I think it's inspiring all those kids. It's inspiring a lot of people. It's a story of turning suffering into strength, ultimately. Yeah, brother. I think. And that's something that I think is one of the most important things a person can strive to do. Because we all suffer. Everybody's got something. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody's got something. And we need to figure out how to turn that into into strength. And it, it's hard. And you're proving it can be done. So I want to thank you for that. And thank you for talking to us. Go walk like a cowboy into the sunset. Right on, brother. And uh, I appreciate you... Uh, being here with us. Thanks. It it was fun. Thanks, Justin. So that's Jonah Berger. As I said, right from the beginning, he has a sunny disposition. I wish I could just have a, a partly sunny disposition, but I don't see partly sunny. I see partly cloudy. It's the glass half full thing all over again. Check out Jonah's two books. He walks like a cowboy Appropriately. And the second is called The Strangest of Places. It's by Jonah Berger, B E R G E R. He also has a podcast available on all outlets. Appropriately called again, He Walks Like a Cowboy. Folks, besides sharing stories of people doing good, we're going to try and do some good ourselves with this podcast. Each episode will highlight a charity or group related to our hero and let you know how you can help out with a donation of time or money. Camp Footprint is a one-week program for youth ages 10 to 18 who have Charcot and Marie Tooth. Every summer, a session is held in June in Oregon and another in August in Pennsylvania. Youth who are used to being the only ones with CMT are suddenly surrounded by other youth and staff who understand completely without the need for any explanation, and the result is magic. To learn more and to donate to this amazing program, please visit www.cmtausa.org. That's www.cmtausa.org. So, have a great week. And hey, after hearing Jonah's story, why not spend the week testing your limits and pushing past them? Run a marathon, even if it's just width wise. Believe in yourself and then realize, hey, that's vanity and don't believe in yourself. Either way. Um, so, that's Omno Hero for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I'm Justin Heimberg, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at NoHeroPod, or you can send us a note at NoHeroPod at gmail.com. I'll be back next week with another heroic interview. I'm No Hero is a Clamor audio production distributed by the Cloud 10 Network, hosted and executive produced by me, Justin Heimberg. Executive produced by Aaron Hilliard. Clamor general manager, Rich Statter. Associate producer, Ethan Aronson. Post-production supervised by Devin Ruskin. Production assistant, Samara Mullick. Additional production and editing by Mark Ronick and the folks at Ironic Media. Special thanks to Sim Sarna and Siva Krieger at Cloud10. Follow I'm No Hero on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. It's at NoHeroPod. That's at NoHeroPod. Send us your thoughts or suggest a hero at NoHeroPod at gmail.com. I'll see you next week.
0: Seeking the Truth Never Gets Old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties.